Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. What's up, Blazer fans? Tara here with another preview episode. We are getting ready to see both of the Los Angeles teams this coming week. The Blazers will be down in Los Angeles to play the Clippers on Tuesday and then back at the Moda Center to see the Lakers on Friday. And to get to know what's going on with these teams, we have I have called in Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina covers the Clippers for Sports Illustrated, the Lakers for SB Nation, and the Sparks for The Athletic. Sabrina, you are obviously extremely busy, so thank you so much for taking a little time out of your day to talk to me. Yeah, always happy to talk L.A. basketball, especially on this podcast. <laughs> right on. Well, so, you know, uh, the the Lakers and the Clippers have both been covered pretty extensively in the off, off with their big off seasons and just, you know, the Lakers are the Lakers. They're always going to get a lot of coverage. I wanted to start by talking to you about how the dynamic duos are doing. So obviously I'm talking about LeBron and AD and then Paul George and Kawhi. Can you talk about how they are doing compared? to like fan expectations you know are they meeting them are they surpassing them and are there any areas where either they haven't met or kind of uh there hasn't been enough data to decide well let's start with the clippers i think um everyone was expecting Kawhi leonard to sort of be the destroyer of worlds that he was in the playoffs last season and it's kind of been a readjustment to realize that, oh yeah, Kawhi Leonard missed 22 games during the regular season last year, and there is a price to pay for getting that version of Kawhi in the playoffs. So, you know, we've talked a lot about load management all around the league over the last month, and nobody wants to rehash that debate. But it's sort of a growing process getting Kawhi Leonard up to speed, both because the Clippers don't have a ton of practice time, Paul George hasn't been healthy, and this is just the way it looks when a player hasn't played competitive basketball all over the summer and then just shoots in the regular season. So you've seen some really nice performances from him in the fourth quarters of games. I remember the last game against Portland being quite excellent for Kawhi during the fourth, but it hasn't been the overwhelming Kawhi that was from the postseason, you know, six months ago, but there's still so much to like from Leonard that I think Clippers, that both the organization and the fans are willing to wait it out until he works himself into shape. With Paul George coming back, has that, uh, how has that affected, you know, uh, Kawhi's game? You know, I don't really think it's affected at all that much. Uh, he still seems to uh, have the same sort of uh, attack mentality on offense that he did even when PG was not playing for the first part of the season. And they've sort of developed this uh, understanding where PG gets off in the first quarter and then Kawhi sort of waits as the game goes along. Um, the Clippers were kind of doing that before. It's just nobody was taking care of the first quarter, so they were <laughs> falling into these big deficits anyway. Uh, so now they're just not falling behind as much because Paul George, I think, ranks fifth in the NBA in first quarter scoring up to this point. So they have this, you know, your turn, my turn kind of thing with PG and Kawhi at uh, like I said, the, the Clippers, uh, Doc Rivers keeps saying that they've only had 
one, like three shoot arounds with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They haven't even had one full practice where both of them were on the same team because when PG first started practicing, he was practicing with the second unit. So they haven't really had a chance to incorporate any of the plays that would really use both of them at the same time. And that's sort of led to this helter-skelter push on offense, which is fine because when you have PG, Kawhi Leonard, and Lou Williams, you can kind of just say, do what you want to do. And it works on offense for the most part. Uh, but defensively, I think uh, it's just made them so much more imposing. Like you saw the Clippers play these ridiculous games against Boston and Houston a week, week or so ago, and the length that they can put on opposing teams, like they just swallowed up James Harden and Kemba Walker, and it was it was terrifying to watch, frankly. <laughs> okay, so how about LeBron and AD? All right, so LeBron James, I think, has over exceeded expectations, which is a weird thing to say about a player who's turning 35 this month. But uh, I think we're all pretty accustomed to the fact that LeBron has taken the defensive end off during the regular season for a good chunk of time now, and that is no longer the case. Uh, even in Sunday's you know loss against the Mavericks, LeBron was all over the place on defense, diving on the floor for loose balls. I'm sure we all saw that halftime huddle where he was getting on the other player's case for just not running as hard as he was. You know, they were jogging while he was laying his body on the line against this Dallas team. And the effort level that he's brought on defense, I think, just sort of carries over to the rest of the Lakers. I mean, Anthony Davis, we know, is this defensive monster. He's, I think, got to be up there for a defensive player of the year candidate right now. And after watching the Lakers sort of malaise their way on the defensive end over the last few seasons, I think that's what's been most impressive is to watch those two superstars bring it on that end and make this Lakers team have a defensive identity first, which is something I don't think a lot of people would have expected considering how the rest of the roster filled out during the offseason. Yeah, they are they're scary. The the latest ESPN power rankings have the Lakers ranked at number 2, the Clippers at number 3. Um the I guess my question is a team that's about ready to face either of these teams like where's the opportunity to uh to beat them? Like what are like what are people attacking or what do people seem to be trying to attack in order to beat these teams? So I think with the Clippers, you kind of have to hope that they have an off-night shooting. Uh, Their only loss in the last nine games was against San Antonio. That was the first loss with both Kawhi and PG, and I I think it's fair to wonder if Kawhi will ever win a game in San Antonio again. (laughs) Um, They seem to particularly enjoy booing him. But uh, that, to me, just sort of seemed like third game on the road in four nights. Uh, you really saw their legs go out from underneath them in that second half against San Antonio. And I don't think it was anything the Spurs were doing in particular. It's just the Clippers got a little too ISO happy and weren't moving the ball that well. And then shots just weren't going in. Uh, I have a harder time finding weaknesses to attack with the Clippers just because defensively they're so stout. Like when you have a starting lineup with Mo Harkless, Kawhi Leonard, and PG, even if you like try to generate a switch with the Clippers, like what sort of advantage are you trying to create? You know, it's just, oh, Kawhi's no longer guarding my main guy, but there's Paul George. And <laughs> even Mo Harkless has just been deployed as this, you know, point guard stopper because he's so long and he's so quick. I mean, he's done a great job, I think, on Beal already and Kemba. And even when the Blazers came to town, they put him on Lillard for a little spell there. But I think you just sort of have to hope that 
the Clippers, because of their abundance of star talent, get in this isolation mode and they don't move the ball around as much and you can just play one-on-one defense with them and that's sort of what Mm -hmm. allows you to compete with them. Whereas with the Lakers, I think they have more defined weaknesses. I think we saw those against Dallas uh, yesterday. Uh, They don't defend the three-point line particularly well. They're more interested in packing the paint, which, you know, is one strategy. Uh, And then um, offensively, things get very stagnant because they don't really have a ton of ball movers other than LeBron James. Rajon Rondo just takes away so much on the defensive end, and even his pace is just not quite what the rest of the second unit wants to play. So I think if you can make AD more of a jump shooter, keep him out of the paint, and then just bomb away, that's a really good recipe for beating the Lakers. Who are some of the players that you've really enjoyed watching, getting to know them or their game this season, outside of the guys we've already talked about? So it's funny, I think on the Clippers, uh, (laughs) I think Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell might even be more (laughs) well-covered than Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, Mm -hmm. just because they're sort of the heart of the team that carried over from last season when the Clippers unexpectedly won 48 games, you know, gave Golden State their arguably the toughest series they faced in the Western Conference. So, I mean, I'm going to go a little bit deeper than that even. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm sure your fans all know how delightful Mo Harkless is, um, and he's just been such a useful addition for this Clippers roster. Uh, Kawhi and PG are not quite in the condition yet where they want them defending number one options all the time. And when you have another six, eight wing defender that you can just throw it on anyone, it's a nice luxury to save Paul and Kawhi, you know, either for the fourth quarter or just for future games down the line. And it's kind of remarkable that a guy like Harkless, who's been on some very successful teams in the West, uh, just comes in, as a bench player, excels in his role and then gets promoted to the starting lineup as the team gets more healthy, which is a weird thing to say. Uh, but he's been tremendous in his role. Just really good guy to have in the locker room. You know, we miss Mo. That is for sure. <laughs> I mean, we understand that, you know, rosters change over. But, uh, yeah, Mo is actually going to go down as a blazer for life solely because of the uh, press conference where he was rolling his eyes at uh, Patrick Patterson. Was it Patrick Patterson? Yes, Patrick Patterson. (laughs) So like Mo is just solid uh, cemented in our hearts as a blazer forever, unless he uh, depends on how this game is going to go. If he does us wrong, then that could change very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. um, Doc had said earlier that he he didn't really know that Mo liked guarding ones and twos. uh, But before the Portland game, uh, Harkless had actually come up to him and said, like, you know, I, I can guard point guards. And then when I asked uh, Mo about that, like, you know, if he had to have that conversation with Doc, he's like, I mean, I told him I could do it, but not necessarily something I'm like, you know, chomping at the bit to guard Lillard and Kemba every day. Yeah, you want to watch when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so how about uh, some of the players on the Lakers? Well, I mean, I think uh, everyone is... Very familiar now with the uh, third best player on the Lakers, Alex Caruso. (laughs) You have the balding head and the excellent jams every game. But uh, Danny Green has been just excellent for the Lakers. uh, Really saved their offseason once it became clear that Kawhi was signing with the Clippers. Just like the perfect complimentary fit around Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Defends so well in his role. Really just capable shooter. I mean other than obviously the one incident against Dallas where LeBron was yelling at him for jogging. Mm-hmm. You know, you never have to worry about him bringing that effort. And it's just nice to have that solid presence, you know, other than your superstars. 
I hear a lot of good things about Jerry Dudley, even though he doesn't play very often. Really good locker room mentor, which I think is the kind of rep that's just carried for him around the league, you know, at every stop that he's been at. Uh, but what's kind of amazing about the Lakers is that the superstars carry so much of the role. Like, not only are they the leaders on the court, it's LeBron's locker room. You know, he's the one that sets the tone. He's the one that bleeds just in every aspect. Um, whereas I think the Clippers have more of like a diplomatic approach. You know, Kawhi and PG aren't that vocal. Uh, the heart of that team in Beverly and Harrell and Williams has been there a little bit longer. They sort of have a pulse of the locker room. And they have so many other veterans like Patrick Patterson and uh, like the aforementioned Harkless who have a voice and carry that in the locker room. It's it's more of a top-down approach on the Lakers side than it is on the Clippers side. Uh, so before the season started, there was a lot of talk about the coach of the Lakers. Um, a lot of people were talking about, you know, Frank Vogel with uh, Jason Kidd looking, you know, breathing down his neck and just kind of assuming that things were going to fall apart. And James or and um, uh, Kidd was going to waltz in now. Well, now how how accurate any of those <laughs> um, thoughts may have been because they were all from outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact remains is there was a lot of buzz about the coaching situation in LA. Um, can you tell us about kind of how that story has gone? Well, I believe we now have to refer to him as November Western Conference Coach of the Month, Frank mm-hmm. Vogel. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the key for Vogel was he was always going to have to get off to a really good start because the Lakers schedule is about to get rough. And I think that's just a natural fact of the Lakers. Their schedule is always a little backloaded because the NBA wants to put their national TV games once football is over. So they tend to have a lot of easy games to start the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Like we saw this, you know, with Mike Brown the last time that the Lakers had high expectations heading into the season. If things go south quickly, the team is not afraid to make a change. And lucky for Vogel, he started the season off 17 and 2 and now 17 and 3. So that doesn't appear to be an issue. But what's great about Frank Vogel relative to what the Lakers have dealt with over the last few years, you know, namely like Luke Walton and Byron Scott, is he's so flexible in his rotation patterns, like you'll rarely see him go with something that's not working for more than a few possessions at a time. And so quick to admit his mistakes, like, you know, didn't play Alex Crusoe in that first game against the Clippers, used him as a spark plug in the very next game against Utah because he realized something was missing. He's been willing to deploy Anthony Davis at the five in situational spots just because even though that's something Davis doesn't want to do, Vogel's the coach. He's has the power to make those decisions and Davis is willing to come in line because Vogel commands that authority and that respect within the locker room. And just to a man, I, there's so many nice things that everyone on the staff, everyone on the, the roster has to say about Frank. I mean, I didn't have the highest of hopes of him coming in just because of how that tenure in Orlando went, but he has gotten such incredible buy-in from his superstars. I mean, like we said, LeBron James is playing defense again, which, mm-hmm. wow. Uh, and once you get Davis and LeBron to come on board, I think the rest of the roster is just going to follow in place, right? Because they see the example that's been set. And we talked like before about how Jason Kidd has this pre-existing relationship with LeBron James, and that's part of the reason why he's on the staff. But the fact that Vogel's been able to create his own relationship with the stars, I think, is so important and I'm, I mean, before the season, I thought that he was going to ride out the rest of the year and I'm more confident in that prediction now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, like it, it was such a storyline for a you know a week or two or whatever uh, back in the summertime, and then I like completely forgot about it until I was prepping for this, and I was like, oh wait a minute, we all thought that you know Jason Kidd was just waiting in the wings and ready to take over, and things seemed to be going pretty well in that department. Yeah, what's so impressive is like we haven't even really heard Jason Kidd's name like at all over the last six weeks. It's probably because the Lakers are winning, but I mean, I I almost think of like like Lionel Hollins as the second in command. Like he's the one I see more often. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, it's can only be a good thing. If the head coach has uh, to support the organization. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, um, are there any other storylines about either of the team that uh, you found really particularly interesting about them this season? So I think with the Clippers, um, the most interesting thing is probably just like how good Lou Williams has been. I mean, uh, it seems like such a silly thing to say, but you know, he's, he came into the league when he was 18 and now he's 33 and he just seems like he's gotten better and better every single year. You know, I guess you can say the same thing about a certain other guy on the Lakers, but uh, the fact that the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard, they have Paul George and so much of their offense still relies on Lou Williams and his pick and roll chemistry with Montrezl Harrell. Like it's so commonplace at Clippers games where they sort of run in the mud for about six minutes and then tries and Luke come in and it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is the Clippers team where Cousin 2 doesn't matter if they have those superstars. Like these are the guys who are the engine who get things done. And some of the shots he takes, like while he's going left are just so preposterous that those are considered good <laughs> shots. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's remarkable. I, he's, he's a sixth man, but he might be like the most important offensive player at times for the Clippers. And the fact that, Doc Rivers still relies on that pairing to generate so much of their scoring is remarkable considering the amount of talent they have on the roster. And it's what makes them, I think, the most complete contender in the league is that in addition to their superstars, they have two other players who can run an offense and run like a second unit entirely on their own. That depth is unbelievable. I really like watching Montrez Harrell. I I'm jealous every time <laughs> the yeah. Blazers play. I just I just enjoy something about watching him play. I really like that. Any other uh, kind of under the radar or less well known stories about the Lakers that you've been following? You know, it's hard to be under the radar with right. the Lakers. Truly, uh, I was you know, just racking my head for this. Like, like what's the media like in the Laker? Like around the Lakers? Like. A game like how many people or reporters are around like is it is it just crowded or have people like lost interest what's that situation like it's funny you wouldn't be able to tell that the Lakers and Clippers have you know similar championship hopes this year just based on the media that surrounds their games because you know within the Clippers setup you can you can still get in comfortably you know get a seat before games like place to work in the media room uh like insert yourself into a scrum and like still have the recorder close enough to hear the player talk whereas that is not the case in the Lakers locker room. Um, but yeah, it's the Lakers are such the name means so much. I mean, the fact that they're even remotely good, let alone first in the Western conference just meant that the media was going to become flocking back. You know, uh, everyone wants to be around what could potentially be another great Lakers team. And I mean, not no story has gone uncovered, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's been uh, great to talk to you and learn a little bit more about the teams. I mean, like it must be, on the one hand, hard to cover a team that is under the microscope that everybody notices everything that they do. Because, like, how do you find something unique to talk about when there's, <laughs> you know, hundreds of people <laughs> covering them? That's got to be that's got to be tricky. And it's so interesting that both the Lakers and the Clippers are good right now. Yeah, that Christmas game is going to be epic. I know the opening night game, like, also lived up to expectations, but there were so many people missing for that game. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the first step for both those teams. I think this Christmas one is going to be even more exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, they got to get through the Blazers first. And oh, that yes. is going to happen this week. So I want to thank you once again for coming on and telling us uh, what you've been seeing down in Los Angeles. You want to tell folks where they can find your work? Absolutely. So all of my work is easily accessible at my Twitter account, which is at Sabrina JM. And that's Sabrina with two E's. (laughs) Right on. Well, thank you so much, Sabrina. And we will talk to you later.